Well, Happy New Year. Uh, let me encourage you. A great way to start your year would be to come back tonight and kind of set it apart in prayer. We'll meet here at 6 o'clock tonight in this room and we'll be praying about some of the things that we're about to explore um, just launching our year um, together. So 6 o'clock tonight, I hope you can join us. Um, but Happy New Year. That's how we greet one another, right? Happy New Year. The, the question is, will it be? Will this be a happy, happy year? And um, Adam Sandler has been billed by some as the next Nostradamus, the great prophet of our day, because there's an internet email, which is always true, you know that, that's been circulating that points out that in his stand-up comedy routine, they, they're often infused with vague yet accurate predictions of tragedies over the years, including things like the siege at Waco, the missing Malaysian jetliner, the BP oil spill, the 2010 Haitian earthquake, and the death of Princess Diana in 1997. So if it were Adam Sandler, 2019 does not look so good. But to avoid a Sandler-esque kind of year, all you have to do, according to some TV preachers, is to speak truth to your mirror. It goes like this. Get up in the morning and invite good things into your life. I am blessed. I am strong. I am talented. I am disciplined. I am focused. I am prosperous. And when you talk like that, talent gets summoned by Almighty God to go find that person. Health, strength, abundance, discipline starts heading your way. When you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, instead of complaining, you should be saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am attractive. I am getting younger. You talk like that and God will renew your youth. So who's right? The pessimistic Adam Sandler or the optimistic TV preacher who shall remain anonymous as a kindness for teaching that kind of stuff? Will it be, though, a good year or a bad one. Um, one thing that I can say with certainty, I think, on the basis of Scripture is that if you follow Jesus in 2019, you will suffer for it. Okay. And no amount of positive self-talk in front of the mirror in the morning is going to change that. The Apostle Paul was beyond candid in this regard when he says simply, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All of us who follow Christ. Now, I know that's not the kind of New Year's prediction that you are hoping to hear in church the first Sunday of the year. But there is a, an amazing upside to this. See, Jesus not only agrees with the Apostle Paul concerning the inevitability of suffering for his followers, but he says it's a good thing. Look at Matthew 5 with me, and you can put your thumb here in your Bible if you'd like this morning. This will be kind of our, kind of our cornerstone passage. Um, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice, be glad, 
For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these beatitudes are a series of kind of life-shaping promised blessings that Jesus gives to his followers at the start of his legendary Sermon on the Mount. And there are eight or nine of them, depending on how you count these last two. John Stott calls this last beatitude a double beatitude because it's essentially Jesus states the same blessing twice. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So the assumption here by Jesus is not only that suffering will find it, its way into our lives this year, but that it comes, wrapped, it comes to us wrapped in a blessing. Don't miss what Jesus is saying here. Suffering comes to those who follow a crucified Messiah, and it is worth it. Okay. It is so worth it. Now, the Apostle Paul takes Jesus' teaching and he broadens it in an important way. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Paul here is talking about sufferings we incur as we follow Christ. And surely that includes direct persecution, but could also include things like this. You drive to visit a friend who has cancer and you go to encourage him. On the way, you hit a deer. You total your car. Paul would say, totally worth it. It's worth it when you encounter that kind of sorrow in following Christ. If you open your house to someone in need, they trash your house, they steal your stuff. Paul would say, it's worth it. Someone decides that your faith at work is a problem because your beliefs run contrary to some of the company's core values. And so you're regularly overlooked for a promotion, not because of the quality of your work, but because of what you believe. And Jesus says, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's add some more voices to this course. In Acts chapter 5, um, when the religious leaders had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. All of the apostles say, it's worth it. Okay. Now Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, the second one, chapter 4, this way. He says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's saying that what I am suffering now pales in comparison to what awaits me. He's saying it's worth it. But it's helpful to think about what Paul means when he says it's a light momentary affliction. Um, he talks about it a few verses earlier in that same chapter, chapter 4. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. 
Later in this letter, in chapter 11, he's going to give a detailed list of what these momentary light afflictions look like. Imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. See, that's what Paul has in mind when he, when he talks about a light momentary affliction. <laughs> and that's what he has in mind when he tells us it's worth it. It is so worth it. What could possibly be worth being imprisoned unjustly, countless beatings, getting stoned, being shipwrecked not once, not even twice, but three times, and then being adrift overnight at sea? What could be worth that? And I want to say that's the wrong question, ever so slightly. It might be better to phrase the question, not what's worth it, but who's worth it. Look back at Jesus' blessings in Matthew 5 with me, that first passage we looked at. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, in both of those blessings, Jesus gives a reason that suffering for following Christ is worth it. And let's be clear here, that's what he's talking about, suffering because of following Christ. Not suffering because you're a Duke fan or a Yankee or a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, Persecution because you follow Christ. Suffering on his account. And in both of these blessings, these ending blessings in Matthew 5, he gives a similar reason, rationale. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So why is it worth it? Because you get the kingdom of heaven. Because you get great reward in heaven. And when we think of that, when our minds turn towards heaven and related matters, often we think of, and rightly we should, um, think of the beautiful hope that's described in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. Perhaps especially this verse in Revelation 21, verse 4. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So this in our minds is the heavenly reward that makes our sorrows worth it to us. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain, even no more death. And yet, there's an even greater reward that morphs our declaration of faith from it's worth it to he's worth it. And it happens in the verse right before this, Revelation 21, verse 3. 
John hears a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And it is God himself then in the next verse who wipes away their tears. This is the heavenly reward that makes our sorrows worth it to us. No more sorrow or pain or even death. All of those joys of heaven and the new earth are ours because, for one reason, God is there. God is there. He is with us. He will dwell with us. We will be his people. And it's he who will wipe away every tear from our eyes, God himself. Imagine that. All of the sorrows of this life, when you enter God's presence, he himself is going to wipe them away. God is going to wipe those away for you. What will it be like to be with God? That is our, that is our great reward, to be with Jesus in answer to the prayer that he prayed back in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, he's praying for us, may be with me where I am to see my glory. And that's going to happen. That prayer is going to be granted. Um, what will that be like? That we would be with him, Jesus prayed. And that is our great reward. We will be with Jesus. What will that be like? And it helps me to have a right understanding of who Jesus is when, I, when that day comes. Right? Um, and so I start most all my days uh, with praying... Um, and worshiping God for one of his names or titles that's given him. I have a, about, a, a long list. I have about 30-some pages of names and titles of God. And I pick one each morning, and I worship God with it. And they're broken out. Uh, Father, a section on the Father, a section on the titles for the Son, and then for the Spirit. So let me share with you, just to give us perspective of who it is we're going to be with in terms of the second person of the Trinity, the Son, from that list, and this is, this is just a sampling. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's our apostle and high priest whom we confess. He's the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He's the bread of life Anyone who comes to him will never go hungry, and he who believes in him will never be thirsty. He is our hope. He is eternal life. He is a friend to tax collectors and sinners. He is our great God and Savior. He's our great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and we firmly hold to the faith in him that we profess. He's the head of the body, the church. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's our peace. 
He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's a ransom for all men. He's the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him will live. He's the Savior of the world. I've got pages and pages. I can go on and on and on. You get the idea, right? That is who we will be with. That is who we will spend eternity delighting in and enjoying his company. And just in case that doesn't whet your appetite, no one has done a, a more beautiful job of describing Christ um, outside of Scripture for me than a man named uh, he's, he's Dr. S.M. Lockridge. S.M stands for Shadrach Meshach. So if you're expecting a child, there you, there you go. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. He's the longtime former pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, and you've likely heard this presentation before. We've used it here, but it's worth hearing again. Yep, it's worth it. So watch, watch this with me and think about meeting the person that he's describing. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his firm is lighter. I wish I could describe him, but yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He 
So yeah, that's our king, right? He's why it's worth it. One day, we we will undimmed by a broken soul in a broken world, we will be with him. And we will hear him declare to each of us, well done. Well done. Good and faithful Servant, enter into the joy of your master. He will say that to you. And that's what Jesus has in mind, I think, at the core of this last beatitude. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, whether that's at school or at work or in your family or in your neighborhood. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. He is our great reward. He is worth it. It's the king that makes the kingdom so, such a great reward. And in the glorious future that waits for us, the Son introduces us again untainted by our broken world and our broken souls he introduces us to the love of God the father who loves us in the same way that the father loves his only son he loves us with that love Jesus prayed about it again in John 17 I made known that to them your name father and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them so it's going to be worth it right it is so going to be worth it to be in the company of the triune god now each year our elders set an overarching spiritual priority that we believe would be god pleasing for us to grow in as a church family this is the way we've articulated for this year our priority is to help us more fully grasp the joy and wonder of eternity with God in such a way that we are increasingly daily mindful of the heavenly hope that's ours in Christ, that we're willing to persevere in hardship and suffering in light of our hope, and we're eager to offer this hope to the people God has placed in our lives because they need it. They are suffering just like we are, but they have no hope. Let me... Let me tell you what was driving this emphasis in part this year. Uh, We see people giving up. They're suffering greatly, admittedly, sometimes for a long season, and somewhere along the way they lose sight of Christ, and they just give up. So marriage is hard, so he walks away. Impurity is hard, so she gives in. And forgiving is hard, so he becomes bitter. And friendships is hard, it's hard, so she backs away. And obedience is hard, so he compromises. Integrity is hard, 
so she tells a little lie. Speaking up is awkward, so we remain quiet, and Christ remains hidden. And people say, but I've suffered for so long, it's just not worth it anymore. And this year, we want to come alongside one another and remind each other, it is worth it. He is worth it. It's so gonna be worth it when we are with him. That's the spiritual muscle that that we want to help each other build this year. There's a an American figure skater, um, his, his name's Scott Hamilton, and if you've wa- ever watched anything to do with skating, you've heard Scott announce. Um, he was the national world champion uh, and world champion in 1981. He won a gold medal at the 1984 Olympics. Um, he and his wife have four kids. Two of them are adopted from Haiti. He's a committed follower of Christ. He says that while he was pursuing his success as a skater, he dropped out of church involvement and started what he jokingly calls now the Church of Scott. But through the love of his wife and others around him, he became, he recovered his faith, became an earnest follower of Christ. Rooted in his faith, Hamilton has an interesting take on dealing with failure. In a 2018 New York Times interview, he said, you know, I once calculated how many times I fell during my skating career. 41,600 times. But here's the thing, I got up 41,600 times. And that's the muscle he says you have to build, the one that reminds you to just get up. And so this year, as a church family, we want to help each other get back up because he's worth it. He's worth it, and this could be a hard year. But together, we want to walk through it faithfully. We want to persevere in following Christ, no matter how hard it gets, because he's worth it. Paul writes and says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, Scott Hamilton got back up 41,600 times for a gold medal. We We get back up countless times for a far, far greater reward for the company and the pleasure of the triune God. To know the love of the Father fully, born to us by his own spirit, demonstrated in the sacrificial love of his son that we celebrated here this morning. It's worth it. Because our God, the company and pleasure of our God is worth it. So yesterday, in this room, we held a memorial service here for Dave McVeigh. And by all accounts to a man, Dave is, was and continues to be in the presence of the Lord, a fantastic guy. A truly faithful follower of Jesus. You've seen him around here um, his countenance is like that. Just He has a smile that lights up a room. And uh, Dave's last years, though, were hard. Um, they were riddled with serious health crises. 
Um, and in his Bible, Dave chronicled those events. Interesting, in the back pages of his Bible, he made a list of some of the significant health challenges that he was facing. And if you zoom in there, you can see some of them. On January 18th, 2014, he had a heart attack and moved to Presbyterian home. And then he had a new defibrillator last year when he was here with us in July of 2018. But what I want you to see is what he wrote over that. Keep running. See, Dave understood that there was a reward that was worth it all. And he was going to be faithful all the way to the end. And that phrase, keep running, it comes from a song that we did here a year or so ago. We were going through the book of Hebrews. Lyrics are by Matt Papa. They go like this. Keep running. Keep running. Don't look back. Don't you give up now. Don't turn around you got to find a way somehow. Keep reaching, keep fighting. The pain cannot compare to the reward that will be yours, that waits in store for those who just keep running. What will 2019 be like? Odds are if we follow Jesus, there's going to be some hard places. We're going to suffer for it. But it will be so worth it because he is so worth it. And the team is gonna come now and lead us in this song as a closing song. And so it's, uh, it's not an easy one to sing, and there's some choruses that us regular people can probably sort of figure out, but anytime you can join in as best you can, let's declare our faith.